And mm-hmm. other than that, uh, I'm just going to sync the audio and video quickly. Sure. The video's back. I need to get an actual clapper. Yeah, video's good. I had to uh, just restart the program. see number 13. Let's go. <laughs> there you go. Lucky number 13. Yeah. We'll change it up. Change it up. Let's change the it. script. No such thing. It wasn't Friday the 13th a couple weeks ago, too? It was. Yeah. Was there a new Jason movie or... <laughs> in the middle of the summer? Movie? I don't think so. No. <laughs> Why not? Missed opportunity. <laughs> have to wait for Halloween for that one. We're gonna come yeah. up with a spoof movie. That I think I think we could do it. Be the Jason, change. Are you down to be the yeah? Be the change <laughs> horror movie. I think those go hand in hand. Oh yeah, we can make it work. So for we're sure. live. We're live. We're here with Christian Pierce. Hi, how we doing, boys? Good. How are you? Doing well, thanks. So. Former UMSU vice president for two years and also events coordinator for one. Yeah, correct. Uh, current law student at the U of M. Yes. And manager at Joey's. Uh, don't so manage at Joey's. That was okay. a few years ago, but uh, I was serving at Pizza Gusto re- up until recently, so still was in the restaurant uh, business a little bit. It's interesting. I always found that serving through school was the best thing that you could do to make a lot of money in a short amount of time. So it makes sense for a lot of students to do. Oh, just to clarify, sure, it was yeah. uh, Joey, the restaurant, not Joey's, the fast food uh, fish Joey's place. Seafood? No, yeah, it Joey's was, Seafood? No, uh, <laughs> which is a great spot. All you can eat on Tuesday nights. But uh, no, it was Joey Keniston. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I always found that I bartended through university, and it was the easiest way to just it was the best way to make it through, and I found that it was also just like the lifestyles somehow lined up. You had the Monday to Friday, just student yeah. grind, and then weekends you could go work. I mean, the bar I worked at turned into a club, so it was like you could make good money in those yeah. times, and it was still sure. you got to be involved in that party fun atmosphere at the end of the day, too. But then I went into restaurant management and stuff and quickly realized that it wasn't for me, though, too. Yeah. So how did you find – how do you find the the – student life balance now that you're in law and that you have to do all the other things too yeah so i mean most people treat law school like a full-time job if they can i mean not everyone has that luxury some mm-hmm. of them do have families i mean i personally don't so i try to treat it like a full-time job although you will find that you have more time than you think if you stay on top of your studies uh i didn't work in my first year much and i kind of regretted it and then going into second years where you really have to kind of Pull it all together, but then I started working at Pizzeria Gusto. I loved it. Kind of helped me keep my sanity a little bit, as you'd mentioned. When you enjoy working at those uh, nightclub restaurant type environments, the social aspect, just with your your colleagues, was kind of a nice break from school. And uh, yeah, so I enjoyed doing that during law school, at least this past year. Nice. It's interesting yeah. because one of those seems. I mean, being a student is very introspective. You have to study a lot. You have to do a bunch of assignments, yeah. and then to do something almost completely on the other side where you have to be social and friendly and, and all these other things. It's almost a nice juxtaposition in terms of just those lifestyles and being able to work on just different aspects of yourself. I wonder what you would say about that. Yeah, so I'm kind of happy you brought that up. So one of the big reasons I got, um, I got a restaurant job, I actively went to get one, was so I could work on some social skills, some soft skills going into law school. And I mean, I haven't practiced yet, but there is a big balance between doing good work by yourself, but also being personable, being able to speak in court. Uh, so that was a big reason why I wanted to get some experience, not just in the classroom and not just reading and studying all the time. Those yeah. skills are important. So prior to that job, would, how, would you, how would you compare your social skills to after the job compared to before going into 
that job? Yeah, so I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. Even doing the MSU um, kind of route, that was hugely dependent on getting out there, really speaking to people. I've always been a friendly, easygoing guy, but wouldn't necessarily say I was the bravest just going on and mean people on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that experience really helped me learn how to do that and be comfortable with it. And then in terms of in the restaurant setting, you're as a manager, and you know this, Riley, is usually deal with conflicts. You have to deal with difficult people. Um, so I say in that aspect, it helped a lot. You have to think on your feet. and you There's an element of you know taking care of the customer, but also standing up for your colleagues too sometimes. So I Fair thought enough. that was very valuable. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, for those that don't know what UMSU is, do you mind explaining that? Yeah, absolutely. What were you a part of? I, I, usually, I usually take that for granted. <laughs> uh, so for the people listening that have gone to a post-secondary institution, they may remember their uh, student union or student associ- association elections. Uh, so essentially, it was a paid position, uh, a paid executive position to run the students union at the U of M. Uh, my specific role was the VP external, which dealt with communications, dealing with politicians in the city, and just any campaigns that are that are you're wanting to run. Nice. That yeah. must be really interesting having to deal with politicians and the community at large when you're still a student in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, I also find so. What would you say is the best thing that you accomplished as part of UMSU and being the VP external? Yeah. So this one is controversial, uh, controversial, but uh, I'm still proud of it. Um, the UPass program, which you may or may not have heard of. Essentially, it's a universal transportation pass. Everyone has to pay for it. Not everyone uses the bus in Winnipeg. Um, it's a program that's around in a lot of different cities in Canada, usually cities that have better transportation like than subways. Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, subways, uh, um, SkyTrains Sky in Vancouver, yeah. which is nice. So the right before we got elected, the executive uh, the year prior to us, they had ran a referendum to do a U-Pass, and it passed pretty resoundingly. And I mean, the voter turnout's about 30%. So, you know, it may not be the most representative, but that's, was, high, that's high for students. There was quite a bit of controversy, if I remember yeah. correctly, after they announced it. And uh, I, I think yeah. it tick, took effect, I want to say, the my last year of school. When did it take effect? Yeah, what it, year? It would have been 2016, 2017, I believe. Yeah, so that was the year I finished school. So, yeah, yeah. it was just coming into effect then. Yeah, so what happened is once we took office, that referendum had already passed. So the student support was there. There was disagreement on my own executive whether we wanted to pursue it or not. I did want to do the program. The students voted for it. I thought it was our duty to kind of carry that out, although not everyone wanted to. Um, so then it, how I uh, kind of participated in getting that passed was setting up meetings with city councillors. Uh, Jenny Gerbassi, who's still a councillor to this day, she was very helpful in that. Uh, I got to meet with uh, probably about five councillors one-on-one. I think the majority of them told us no way they're doing this. Because <laughs> essentially... We had to ask them to give us over a million dollars a year just to fund the pro- uh, the project. And then Winnipeg Transit also had to do all this extra work that they had no interest in doing. So the director of Winnipeg Transit at the time wasn't a huge fan of it, spoke against it. Um, so we had to go through a few subcommittees, the Public Works Committee. Eventually, Jenny Gerbassi helped get a compromise. We got a motion on the floor of City Hall, and I got to present on behalf of UVM. So wow. it was a pretty unique experience. I was quite young and uh, I mean just went in there and tried to represent the students the best we could so yeah it was interesting. Did that in turn make you more interested in law and the fact that you had to go through all these processes of I mean both charming counselors but then probably writing up you know different proposals and things and making sure that the plan was well thought out and just did that process lend to it or did you always have this goal of pursuing law as as 
something you wanted to accomplish? Yeah, it's a good question. I sort of had an idea going into university that I wanted to at least keep my grades up to, to make it an option. Um, but definitely getting involved in AMSU, I kind of saw that I think I am capable of at least bringing something to the to the legal industry. I'm not going to be necessarily your your typical bookworm who's going to spend all day studying, although I can do it if I have to. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, the AMSU experience gave me a lot of confidence in that I know I can represent people and I think I can put a good argument forward for them. And so it definitely made me more inclined to pursue law. That's awesome. I almost wish that I would have taken more time to enjoy the both the student experience, but got to be involved in more of whether it was counsel or just other things happening at, at the university. I found that I was always yeah. playing football or training for physical things, and, and I was never the most motivated student. I would say I didn't find that until after. And it's funny because I think that I found my, my drive from sport initially. Mm-hmm. It was always the thing that pushed me through high school and even university. And then it was when that was done and when I realized, and I sort of made that choice, but I decided I had one more year of schooling left. And so I I decided to do, I did my fieldwork portion of my degree. So I -hmm. I took recreation management and community development. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that whole last year I was doing basically full-time work, unpaid full-time work to do fieldwork and then working full-time to support myself on the rest of it. So there was that, and then my final semester, I had five courses for the very first time throughout yeah. school and still worked about four bartending shifts, so I was getting out of there sometimes at 4 or 5 a.m. and, oh, yeah. and having Trying. to try and study the next day. Yeah. Ouch. And it's, it's one of those things. It's interesting to go, I would never want to relive that point in my life, yeah. but it's all worth it when you get to that other side. And actually, that last semester, I ended up with the best grades that I had yeah. throughout university, too, so it's... It's interesting when you apply yourself, even if you aren't the best student starting out, that yeah. it only takes that, that type of motivation to actually get to a place where you are successful. So what, what gives you that student drive or what, what, what makes you like study hard and, and read and get in the books and, and mm-hmm. get through that way? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, <laughs> a lot of it's just knowing what I need to get done. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of plan for things. Uh, this past semester in particular, I think I finally really put it all together. Uh, like you, I never really took five and five well, in terms of courses. Little, talk a little bit. Sure, sorry. No, it's not um, good. Yeah, I never really ever took five and five. So going to law school, I was taking five or six courses a semester. So it really taught me how to you know, plan out when I'm going to get this done because it won't just happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, you do set your goals. You have an end game in mind. I mean, how everyone gets there is going to be different. And I know it works for me now. Um, this past semester, I actually, you know, did my readings every week and that made a huge <laughs> difference. And but <laughs> Like, wow, studying yeah, actually does something. It, it helps going to class, having read everything. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think I'm kind of similar to you. Sort of the more I am doing, the busier I am, the more I get done. I find I can be pretty complacent when I actually don't have stuff going on at night. I'm not working another job. I can get a little bit complacent. So I think this past semester I was in six courses, I actually did the best. So I always find it's that motivation. It's, it's once you start or that momentum. So once you start studying and you're in your books every day, but as soon as you start to do something else, or I always found summer was maybe the worst part of it. If you weren't taking a summer course, because You kill a couple too many brain cells, and you just spend too much time doing enjoyable things. Yeah, you fall right out at off. the lake, and yeah. and you just fall out of that mindset that it's really hard 
September was always the hardest month to reset. And my birthday is right at the end of the month. So it's like, it was always the first exams were at that time too. And it was mid football season. So I rarely ever got to celebrate, but it was, it's, it's funny that you have to go through those. I don't know. You just have to reset and, and recalibrate and just know exactly what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve. And so it seems like you're a goal setter. Are you, have you always been that way or, or do you make that a common practice for yourself as well? Yeah, I just quickly want to comment that momentum was the right word, I think. Like that's yeah. kind of what kind of keeps you going once it's once you got it started, it, it kind of won't stop. Um, but in terms of goal setting, it's something I'm trying to do more of in terms of like daily goals. I've always had my sort of where I want to end up, like get into law school, get at a big corporate firm, those sort of goals. Uh, but in terms of the day-to-day stuff, that's something I'm working on. Uh, the past semester, uh, on the first day, I got all six of my syllabuses, just sat down and set out a weekly goal for when I wanted every reading done. I didn't always hit it, um, but I mean, if you're getting 80% of it, it you're going to be a lot better off than just kind of uh, going off the seat of your pants. So I think the goal setting is something I'm getting better at. So do you yeah. tend to now uh, keep like a checklist of like, do you make daily and weekly goals, monthly goals mm-hmm. even, and just kind of check them off as you go and add more to it? Or like, what is your process of mm-hmm. kind of organizing how you want to go about your daily and weekly life? Yeah, that's a good question. So in terms of daily goals, uh, right when I get to the office, I usually go there pretty early for this particular lawyer, lawyer I'm working for this summer. I'll get there at 7, sit there for about half an hour, enjoy my coffee, and I will kind of jot out what files I want to get done at work that day, uh, what kind of errands or uh, like if I have a work on I want to get done, I make sure I add that in. So kind of separate into work goals, and personal goals. Uh, the weekly goals during the summer, I haven't really kept up with as much. That was more, I, I used that more of a tool for school, um, but something I, sh- I should be doing. I think goal setting, um, I don't necessarily do it super rigidly, uh, but I find if I just do lists or if I kind of write it down, it does help. Um, for sure. Yeah. So the daily one, I'm starting to pick up on again, just because it helps me organize myself. Weekly and monthly ones, I haven't really done. I usually just kind of have daily and just like end goal. It takes a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know I struggle with it on a daily basis. I always want to, and then I, I do for a bit, and then I kind of fall off. Yeah, um, that's I, natural. I, 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 struggle, I struggle with the, the process and the time it takes to actually put it into writing and get it yeah. down on paper and to make that checklist to begin with. And I'm like, well, I could be using this time for something actually productive <laughs> than trying to plan my productivity. See, yeah, and I, it, I, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment. I feel it. But then what I think happens to me is that I'll get halfway through the day and then I kind of lose that focus and I start. Exactly. And that's yeah. where the list does come in and it is worth taking that 20 minutes, half an hour to do it. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And kind of rewinding back to uh, – getting the momentum to do the studying and everything. Mm -hmm. I've always found myself to be kind of one of those last minute wonders, I guess, if you Mm -hmm. want to call it that. (laughs) I always, uh, my papers, I would leave them till the last minute, like Mm -hmm. the night before, the two days before. But it's interesting, you know, it causes the most kind of stress, but in my mind, it's, 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 when I look back and analyze how I thought about it, I almost like went into like in a super organization mode, like everything Mm -hmm. kind of fell into place. And I knew in order to reach this time and get this many words on this paper by this time, I need to be able to do this. I can only take breaks here, here and here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And then I'd have to be like, okay, I can, I have to write so many words by this time, so many words by this time. Just pacing it out. Pacing it out. And then it eventually actually turned out 
most, uh, not all of them, but most of my papers yeah. actually turned out to be pretty well-structured papers. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt like the papers, and, I, and there are times where I would get that momentum and write it over, say, a two-week span or something. Yeah. So that way I have time to read over and edit it. And I found that I actually always did better on the papers that I rushed rather than yeah. the ones I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that because I kind of had a similar experience this, this past academic year. I did better in my first-term paper that I left way later. Um, but what I'm trying to learn is not to leave stuff to the last minute, but I do think I do a bit better like you, a bit under pressure, a bit under the gun, uh, but I just don't think it's sustainable in, ter- it's like, in terms of what you want to translate into work, but it's so easy to not do something way ahead of time and just kind of prioritize other things first. So that's where it takes a lot of discipline, I find. For sure. I it's, agree with that. It's funny being in a different stage of life, though, when, I mean, in careers or in jobs, it's you usually have a deadline of a week or a couple days or even mm-hmm. that afternoon. So I almost find yeah. that when they give you a syllabus and they say, here's your assignment due this date, your exam this date, you're going to mm-hmm. have a debate, whatever it is, this day. So it's almost too much time to prepare. And then all of a sudden, yeah, they assign it, but you just go, I'm going to do <laughs> yeah. this two days before. Because humans are creatures of, well, we'll sacrifice the now for the later, but only if it serves us. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, procrastination. So if I could go out tonight, I could have a bite to eat. I could go out with friends, have a drink, whatever it is. I'm probably going to do that rather than that assignment. And it's only when that assignment becomes important enough to me that I'm actually going to complete it. So I feel like that's how procrastination starts. And then it just becomes habit because, I mean, if you're not a person who stresses a ton about assignments and I never did because I wasn't striving for a 4.2 GPA. Yeah. I never really thought I'd be a lawyer. I, I do like debating with people and, yeah. <laughs> and calling people out. But, yeah. but, uh, but no, I just find, found that that was my method of getting through. And it, was, it wasn't stressful enough for me not to do it that way. Mm-hmm. But I wish it's looking at it now. I see how unproductive that is and how much better I could have used my time or all the other things I could have accomplished well, I was procrastinating and just watching TV and all that other stuff. So I, <laughs> yeah. I look back at it and I go... It's a learning process, right? I, yeah, I don't think I could be any other way, but it's it's interesting that people really do have the ability to evolve in their own life, to go through those mm-hmm. those changes of, of being a, a procrastinator and then being super productive and being... I mean, I was never a list person. I was never... A, mm-hmm really even a goal setter i was just like i want to play football and run into things and then <laughs> mm-hmm. and then it evolved into okay there's got to be more to life and that's when you start to set there's more to life than hitting things yeah. right i mean there's still there's still place for that oh, yeah. or at least at least pushing yourself i mean i really measure things on on in terms of i mean i've said this before but in terms of physical intellectual emotional and spiritual and just on those realms mm-hmm. so and I always want to be pushing myself in all those realms. And I wondered what, how you gain a sense of balance and how you might measure the world in a similar fashion. Yeah, I don't know if I've thought about it in that, <laughs> in that sense Fair myself. Enough. I mean, I'm a very easygoing person. I was a procrastinator and I was able to do that because I wouldn't be stressed out. This setting things in advance is something I'm learning. Yeah. Uh, I think it is sort of a necessity for the job I'm going to have can't let things linger when you know people are paying you a lot of money to get things done in a quality way um but in terms of just the mental aspect i kind of just kind of know myself now if i need my time to relax and do my own thing that's cool if i want to go out and be around people and have fun i do that too um 
the physical aspect. I'm just getting back into working out again. Something I used to do quite a bit in undergrad, got away from it kind of near the end of UMSU in law school, but it's something I realized that it's not sustainable if you don't take care of yourself. Uh, this lawyer I'm working for right now, he wakes up at 4 a.m. every day, goes for an hour run, and he's been doing that for 41 years. Sounds like someone I know. Maybe not for 41 years. Yeah, <laughs> 41 but, days. <laughs> I mean, no, it's more it's, than 41 yeah, days now. But it's, so I, just, I really just try to learn from other people, see what works for them. Can I be a morning person and work out five days a week? I don't know. I'm going to try... Well, I can, and before I get heavy into my career, but yeah, I, I um, mean, it's it's about striking that balance too, and what yeah. works for you. Not everyone's a morning person, no, right? Exactly. Some people rather work out at night, and maybe that works better for you or for other people, right? Exactly. So I just try to learn from people in that sense. I'm I am a morning person, so I think I do have a lot to learn. And for me, I I know I won't work out after work, so if I don't go before, I'm just being lazy. And I've and I've seen it's sustainable if you're disciplined with certain people. so I found that a lot in my own life where I, I never used to be a morning workout person. I used to put no. it in throughout the day, especially through yeah. school. It was, okay, I'd have a, a spare between classes and I'd have 75 minutes. I'd go work out and then go to my mm -hmm. next class and then maybe yeah. there's a practice or film session, whatever was after that. But it's now where I go, what am I doing? I, I mean, it's optimization of life has become one of those things like, how can I better optimize my time and how can I make better use of it so I'm more productive throughout the day? Yeah. But it was, it was really assessing and going, well, I don't really do much after 9 p.m. at night, 9, 10, mm -hmm. 11. And if you're staying up all hours of the night and watching TV, I mean, you just wake up tired and you get in that negative mm -hmm. mind state. So I started getting up early and oftentimes I'll go for runs at 4.30 a.m. out to Cinnaboyne Park nice. or get to the gym for six so that I can, or leave for the gym at six so I can be at work for 8.30. But yeah. it's, it's, it's really finding those times. And I feel that so many people lack that, especially in office mm -hmm. mentalities where it's, it's like, there's a gym up four floors from here. <laughs> and, and yet not everybody takes advantage of that. And it's like, yeah. you have a lunch hour, you have before work, you have after work. There's time to fit that in. And especially... It's funny that, that you work for somebody who, who is an avid runner but gets up mm -hmm. at early in the morning mm -hmm. because it's, it's interesting. Lawyers typically, I would think, work such long hours that mm -hmm. you're just burnt out and you don't necessarily have time for that balance yeah. or that, that physical activity. Well, I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal lawyer and he does work very hard and very long hours, but it's what he prioritizes. He prioritizes his health in the morning and he prioritizes his work from you know, 6 a.m. onwards. So I think it's, everyone sort of knows, or most people I would hope know in themselves, like what they need to do. Like for the last month, I knew I needed to get back in better shape because if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. And you both probably have an understanding of what you can do a, a bit better in your life to feel better mentally or physically or socially. Mm -hmm. You can usually feel it. And I mean, if you're going to actually make the change, it's kind of up to you. I sort of used a, uh, a week of motivation just to get back in the gym and now i'm sort of building the discipline now to keep it going well so. we've, we've talked about i mean we've had lots of people on this show talk about weight struggles and and even yeah. inactivity struggles and mm -hmm. i've been through that definitely before and, For sure, and i would too. say some of yeah. the worst times in my life have been either i've been injured and not able to do something physical yeah. or it's been i've gotten out of shape and just you once you're stagnant for long enough, again, yeah. it's that momentum thing where yeah. once it stops and you go, okay, well, I'm, I got this stressful job and I want to get better and 
that was very much right after I graduated school and worked for a professional sports organization. It was, it was okay, I'm working 60-hour weeks, and I, mm -hmm. I want to increase my career, and I'm still young, and I got all this energy, but then all of a sudden it was, okay, I eat pizza every other day because there's an event or there's yeah. a game or there's a... And it's, it's just, it's really hard to get yourself out of that. And even now, I've, I've found in the past six months or so, just having something competitive to train for, just something to train mm -hmm. for in general, and having that motivation is really helpful. And I mean, but for some people, it can be just as easy as, as I want to be healthier, I want to live healthy yeah. so I can, I can live longer, be more productive during the day, have more energy. I mean, there's so many mm -hmm. benefits people talk about, too. So you're sort of setting uh, medium to long-term goals or maybe even short-term goals with these competitions. That's what motivates you then. It's, it's a little bit of everything. I knew that, I mean, I was working out regularly, but it mm -hmm. became stagnant. It became the point where there was nothing interesting about it. I knew what I was going to do. I had my weekly routine to lift a bunch of weights and eat a mm. lot of food and yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and, and yet I wasn't in great shape. I mean, I was... It's like, especially when you have a, a, a past like I did in football where I'd, I'd reach what I thought was the pinnacle of my physical capabilities. Mm -hmm. And then you go through that, that downtime of being inactive. And then all of a sudden you go, like, can I even get back anywhere close to that? Or can I, get, or can I maybe get further? And it was, and so if you, but if you think about that too much when you're in that inactive streak, you go, Oh, that's so far away. What was I doing at that point? I was working mm -hmm. out two hours a day, eating super healthy and all this stuff. Um, but then it was great to just, I actually last year wanted to sign up for a Spartan race that was going to happen in Winnipeg. It was going to be out at Birds Hill. Okay. And then they didn't have enough people sign up. So that was, it was heartbreaking in itself just because I'd already made that commitment that I was going to do that race mm -hmm. and it was going to be the shorter one. But uh, the commitment but then, failed you. The commitment yeah. failed you. Yeah, it usually doesn't work like that. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah kind of strange, right? Yeah. But then going into this year, it was about February, and I started taking my fitness a little bit more seriously. I called it shreduary. Just I find named things, whether it's a month or a workout, makes it that much better. Nice. Whatever works. Whatever for works you. for yeah. you, right? It's it's a way to make it a little more fun too. Oh, yeah. But I finished that month, and I went. No, I need something that's going to push this if further and mm -hmm. so i decided to sign up for the spartan race in red deer which is i guess a month and a half ago now or so okay. and it was an eight mile race and 25 plus obstacles so i knew that i'd have to have the endurance and be able to run eight miles i'd done a little running last summer but yeah. i knew i wanted to get even further along than that mm -hmm. but then still have the physical capabilities to get through a lot of the obstacles and then from there it was following some people on Instagram, watching a couple videos yeah. of races and things and, and coming up with a game plan because I'd never seen these obstacles before. And then before you know it, I got, well, before you know it, you get super passionate about things you're watching. And, and I knew that I was interested in it at that point. And then so to up my training and get to a point where I felt literally in the best shape of my life, at least endurance-wise, cardiovascular and... I would just say all around fitness. Mm -hmm. Like I was a big beefy football player, but it's mm -hmm. it's a different thing to be able to run 15 miles in a day. Okay. So it was it was cool to go through that process, and then a month before the race, I switched into the elite category, and we actually had one of the racers on the podcast, Mikhail, who's yeah. literally he's won. Well, he got number one in BC, didn't he? Oh, wow. In two races, in two so races, in Super yeah. and the Beast, Jeez. anyone in Red Deer, I think twice, maybe even three times. <laughs> 
so, the real deal. So he's the real deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was cool to just meet somebody. You think in Winnipeg, and he won a mountain race. So you go, there's something a little bit crazy about yeah. this, but it's awesome once you start making those strides within the communities. But just getting passionate about something and, and following mm. through and actually making it somewhere and feeling like you're better than you were before. Yeah, and then finding that passion. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would just ask, where do you even start with that? Like a lot of people, like you ask them, what's your hobby? And they, they might not have one. Yeah, a lot so, of people don't. Yeah, so how did you find Spartan Racing? It's did, Spartan Racing is funny because I, I don't quite know how I found Spartan Racing in particular, but I have a, I have a, I don't know if it's a, hatred's the right word, but I never wanted to do CrossFit because okay. I felt that it went against everything that <laughs> I stood for in terms of using proper technique and things. And it seems kind of I mean, and... there's proper co- CrossFit and then there's commercialized CrossFit, which is yeah. what you're thinking of. Yeah. So not to throw CrossFit under the bus. And, and I typically <laughs> got to defend it. I, well, no, I typically <laughs> think negative thoughts when I think of CrossFit too. And I don't think it was until I became a trainer that I grew an appreciation for actual CrossFit because mm. all I saw before were the, the YouTube videos of people failing at it or like yeah. on TV or like just videos of people improperly lifting equipment i'm like well they're obviously going to hurt themselves Mm -hmm. but then there's like real crossfit it it promotes good um technique and and form yeah that's one of the things i would say though is is uh, in this journey it's it's been kind of cool though because it came out of nowhere but i also just knew that i wanted a holistic challenge something that would push me in a lot of different areas Mm -hmm. and and yet I know I didn't really want that contact portion of it. So there was, I mean, I played recreational sports between dodgeball and, and touch football, but those don't really instill the drive. I, it's still competitive, but it wasn't something that, it was like, I've played this at a high level in tackle. Yeah. It's just not this, you go for beers after. It's, it's a fun thing to do, but it doesn't push you in that way. And so I didn't want it to be another contact sport because, you look at all the research on head injuries and things and just longevity, and I've never had a diagnosed concussion, but there are a couple that I would say I for sure got yeah. my bell rung or had some kind of yeah. head trauma. And so, yeah, I, I knew I didn't want to go back to that road, but it was, what's this holistic challenge that I could do? And then finally, just finding Spartan races and signing up for the one that didn't happen. Yeah. I'd done Mud Hero, so I guess I had a little bit of okay. a, a taste of it. And then just decided it will give me something to train for. And I actually just posted about it. But I, I said, you know, when you usually have that voice in the back of your head that you go, you're crazy for doing this. This is you. Sh- why are you doing this? And you had that self-doubt. I didn't have that at that point. I just went, you're going to do this. It mm-hmm. might you might be sacrificing some kind of balance. You're going to have to train hard for it. Mm-hmm. But maybe you'll grow and you'll you'll get somewhere even better than you currently are or, or that you were. So it's it's cool to go through that mm-hmm. process and i would say i know we were talking about it a little bit earlier but critical self-assessment is one of those mm-hmm. things that a lot of people aren't willing to do but is maybe one of the most important things you can do and it seems like you do that whether it's between training or or knowing what you have to do and coming up mm-hmm. with those tasks and those goals so yeah do you find that that's an important part of your development as well as self-critique and self-assessment yeah definitely that's something and i also really welcome uh critique from other people whether it's the lawyer i work for whether it's my close friends i i think if you struggle with self 
self-assessment, then having others be able to tell you things too is also huge. Um, but yeah, like I always try to improve myself. I think I'm ambitious. So, um, I mean, sometimes I can get lazy and unmotivated, uh, but it's that self-assessment that kind of gets you back to, For you sure. know, back on path. And I think a big thing too, is you can't be too hard on yourself. I know it's easy to do. Everyone probably does it. Um, but for myself, just even going back to the gym, I started, you know, like squatting the bar my first week back and it's like, you know, it's pretty almost embarrassing how late it is, but it's where you start. And that's, that's key. Actually, yeah. a lot of people get embarrassed coming back to the gym, especially after they're able to like lift so much or, yeah. or say if they want to put, say they can do a two plates on the bar for mm-hmm. some, or like a squat or something Yeah, and they haven't gone to the gym in two years and then they come back. And they're like, they instantly think they need to be doing two plates mm-hmm. on the bar again. I'm like, obviously, you're not going to be able to. No. So, and then it becomes embarrassing. But yeah. no one else really at the no gym. No one cares. Yeah. I really mean, cares. as a t- if I was 22, I probably would never do that. I'm 26 now. I know my mobility is horrible from not doing it for a year. So go back to basics, make sure I'm doing 100%. it properly. And if you just look, if you're going up weight slowly but surely, you're going you're gonna to hit two plates in a year, year and a bit. Well, that's, that's why I say if you you did it once, you can do it again, and you probably yeah. do it again in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, that, and that's just me being honest with myself. I, I'm not going to go to the gym and try and kill myself right away. If I did do that, I probably wouldn't keep working out. I'd probably give up again, right? So, that's sort of the self assessment I try to use, and you can apply it with anything, with your social life, with your studies, with work. So, that's a good way to stay motivated too. Yeah. Um, unlike you and Riley, who seem very motivated yeah. in your current. <laughs> Positions in life. Um, my my current position has been sitting in my house for the last almost two months now. So I've kind of I've kind of I used to be extremely motivated, um, and one of my biggest fears was losing that motivation. Mm-hmm. As um, I hate I hate the word motivation, by the way, because motivation is a temporary feeling, mm-hmm. and usually you need to find discipline within yeah. that motivation that is something that can last. Right. So it, for sure. Motivation, it's, so, it's something that's been slipping for me uh, over the last two months since I've been off for surgery on my for ACL recon- reconstruction. And so I've kind of seen the darker side of it and just kind of, uh, it, it's interesting because I don't think I mentally prepared properly going into the surgery because I, I was so gun-ho, I was working out every single day, yeah. had the surgery, felt like it was our surgery, so and I was home by the yeah. afternoon that day and it was fine. And I was drugged up in that, so I didn't really feel pain yeah. or anything. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to be back on my feet in no time. Sure. One week passes, two week passes, and then suddenly the frustration starts to kick in, yeah. right? And uh, and, and it just kind of went from there. And then when I'm I'm frustrated, and I, I thrive, like Riley, I thrive from things like competition and always trying to better myself and trying to better people around me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like healthy competition, not trying to show people up per se. Yeah. But that's a, big dip. that's a huge change in your life. It is because you go in yeah. from that to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I do going from a, a physical lifestyle to a very sedated, I don't even know the word sedentary. sedentary. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Lifestyle. And um, yeah, so it's just, I, I haven't had that in years, probably since my early 20s. So it was just kind of a shock and I didn't prepare myself properly. And then the eating came, right? And you get comfort food. And, and it, then I, Honestly, I think talking to Riley has been the, the the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel because seeing what he can do, I'm like, you know what, I I'm not at Riley's level, but at, at some point, like I can, there's something I can look up to, so that when I get back to the the gym, mm-hmm. and I and then suddenly I'm looking forward to going to the gym again, and like, hey, every day is a little bit better. 
Mm-hmm. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I can get back to where I was. Like going two months without working out isn't the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And go two months of working out and you get back to where I was, right? Yeah, so. I think it's also that thing of like not being too hard on yourself. You just had 100%. ACL reconstruction surgery. You shouldn't be kind of it's expecting not, to be able to no, go back. I'm not all, saying you shouldn't feel frustrated. I but. think it's because so many people, it's such a common surgery. And I think going in, I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm like, oh, yeah. a couple of weeks, I'll be back on my feet in no time, yeah. back at work. And here I am two months later. And I've had complications <laughs> along the way too. Like uh, I've had a, a blood clot, which caused mm-hmm. an excessive swelling in my leg, which is what's preventing me from going back to work so, uh, mm-hmm. as soon as I would like to. So it's uh, just trying to have to deal with those things too. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of it, – it is a big deal. Like, I replaced a, a large portion of my knee yeah. that was holding my knee together, mm-hmm. and I have to give that time to heal, whereas I think I was just like, oh, I'm going to heal right away. It'll be fine. And I think that the, the realization that, like, oh, this is going to take longer than I thought was yeah. just kind of a letdown for me. Yeah. And so it was – I think it was a bit being too hard on myself, too, for sure. Yeah. I think it's realizing that it's an impermanent – Thing. like it's a temporary thing that you're going through and right and it doesn't matter what that is that brings that on whether it's i mean so many things can bring you down in life and take you to that spot of 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 being whether it's depressed or upset or just in a low place in life and then but realizing that that's impermanent that that's temporary and that there is hope and i think that you you say that like exactly right where there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. And you know that this is temporary. You know you're going to get back to a place where you're able to do the things that you enjoy. And it's important to have that in your mind just in terms of it's hard to go through those times. Mm-hmm. And I've been through injuries, and I know that I've talked about it, where it's the worst thing, especially going through ones where, I mean, you know going into a football game that any play you can get injured. It could be the end of your career, but then when it actually happens that you break an ankle and you're on the couch for eight weeks and you don't get to play in a full season and you just watch the world around you go by and yeah. actually the you first time... You feel like time, you're standing still, so the, right? Yeah. So the first time it happened actually changed my life. So I was playing junior football right out of high school because I felt that I wasn't tall enough, fast enough, strong enough to play in university. And you don't have to be in university to play junior football in Canada. So I, I played junior. I wasn't working at the time because I decided I was all in in football. I was going to train, mm-hmm. and that was my future. Because you don't really know yourself that well at 18. But I ended up getting injured, and it was, there's nothing else going on in my life. And for two months, I had to sit there. And when you have a lot of time to contemplate just life and sitting there, and I definitely got to one of my darkest deepest sure you get into your own head times. right yeah mm-hmm. and and yet I, as soon as i got healthy enough i got a job i started taking classes just out of interest in that january and then when it happened again the next year it was yeah. at least i had things in my life that i was doing and i could lose myself in studies and i could i could i had projects and things that i was interested in and reading and and so it was nice to actually it, it's just it's great when you make those strides and sometimes you need those bad times and not saying surgery is one of those things that in the long term is going to help you Mm -hmm. because you're going to have more mobility. You're going to have, you're going to be able to hopefully do things better than you were before. I know you had limited mobility in that knee joint before. So it's, it's like, it's nice to just realize it's temporary, but it's going to be better for you in the the long term. And I think that should be the focus. It is, it's so easy to be hard on yourself in when those I, tough times. I even think it's what you were talking about before. It's having 
even having this time now, I'm, I think I'm going to look back and be grateful for it because it's a juxtaposition of where I don't want to be back into again, right? Yeah. And it's not like I ha- it hasn't happened before. I mean, that's where my journey started too. Like I haven't, it's not like I'm back there right now, but like I remember being in a dark place before I started running and losing weight when I was overweight. And I guess it's always been like a major fear of mine to go back. I'm scared to ever go back. And I know it won't happen because my mindset's so drastically different that it would take like a lot, I, I don't even know if it's possible for me to ever go back to the dark place that I've, I originally came from. So it's just having that juxtaposition and remembering how far I've come and how much further I have to go that, um, that just kind of, well, I think will keep me going. So it's a very meditative or yogic thing. I know we're going off on tangents. No, this is what we often do. We have a guest yeah. here. <laughs> okay. I'm uh, learning a lot. But to go off on another tangent, it's very meditative to just the term of acceptance. So whether whether you're on a high and you're going, this is the best part of my life and I'm enjoying every minute and you're fully engaged and all the projects you're doing are amazing jobs, great girlfriends, awesome, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you go through those times, but it's realizing that that's also impermanent too. So I think of the yin and yang symbol because I, I like Taoist philosophy in terms of just balance and and light and darkness it's just a very simplistic way to view the world but but also there's a lot of wisdom within that too but just knowing that you can be at the top or you can be in that light part of life but there's still that little bit of darkness you know that it's not going to last forever and i think life just comes in those ebbs and flows and you have to learn you you don't necessarily get better at life you just get better at handling those yeah. ebbs and flows yeah so yeah. christian i also wanted to know if there's any time that you've been through either a failure in your life or maybe hit that hit a low mm-hmm. point where you had to rise back up again yeah i mean i guess from the topic of knees i i did uh i partially tore my meniscus so that ah. kind of threw me off for wasn't, that's painful yeah it wasn't too terribly bad i didn't completely tear it it's that's still good. not fixed but um and I mean, again, you're kind of just sitting there on your couch and I uh, can't do a whole lot. Uh, I think in those times, you just try to divert your energy to other things, you know, pick up a book, try to read a bit more. Um, and whenever I go through things like that, or even during my election with UMSU, which was pretty grueling, or, uh, you know, you're working long shifts or two jobs, I always just try to think of it as character building. You're just there. You know, sometimes it's good that it's hard. If it was always easy, then how are you ever going to get better, right? Yeah. So kind of when you guys are saying that you're low, but you kind of look back and you see the process, you can say, like, that built character. Like, you probably never would have maybe taken university if you didn't get hurt when you are playing junior football. Or it would have happened a lot later, you know? Because you go through those kind of um, those conflicts, and that's where you kind of do a self-assessment and, and look back, and you did build some characters. So. Yeah. It's funny. I'm not a strong believer in fate, but it's it's funny to think of those little things in life whether it's just an inkling or a seedling or a or even an, an event in your life that leads to so much change or even a minor shift and you could end up in a completely different direction if none of those oh, things happen i i would never have ran for umsu if my good friend al Turnbull didn't ask me one day you said do you want to do this and i said i don't know what it is he, <laughs> said, he said okay we'll go home and read the bylaws and i was like okay i pull it up there's 70 pages oh, no. i was like I don't, okay, well, and I go back and I said, I don't, I don't, like, I don't know anything about this. I don't know what we'd be doing. And he's like, man, this is an opportunity and sometimes you just have to take it. So we worked really hard and we put our best foot forward to try to win that election. And that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from all of that was just, if you have an opportunity, try to 
try to capitalize. Sometimes it doesn't always work out. No, but right. like you said, if I didn't do that, I don't, maybe I've already graduated law school. Maybe I'm not at the firm I want to be at because I didn't have these great experiences. So it is interesting to think about how life can change with some of those decisions you make. I think so many people, I think often people rush through their university or their schooling and too many people expect you to have it all figured out at 18 when you're trying to figure out, when you're applying to different faculties or oh, whatever yeah. it is. And I've seen so many people just bounce around faculties and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But I've also seen the other side of it uh, where just cost money there's somebody, well, <laughs> true. money, but it's time. <laughs> um, but there's also the people that rush through school and go, this is what I want to do and rush through and never mm-hmm. have any of those other experiences though, whether it's UMSU, but Mm-hmm. or traveling or having a, a second job or having or just working before going back for another degree which yeah. is kind of common in law school at least yeah taking that gap yeah. year yeah. before going to school i think i think people need those experiences just to grow and to do other things and realize exactly who they're they are because i would say it's still an evolving process at 26 i i guess even in your 30s. <laughs> in my 30s, thanks. I am 30. I just turned 30. Yeah. 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 30s is a stretch. it's okay. Yeah. When you say 30s, makes me think I'm like mid-30s or later. Yeah. Yeah. Plural, right? Yeah. 30. But no, I think it's important to just to develop and build and then to be open to, at any point in your life, being able to evolve. You, I mean, you could be 50 and change careers and who knows yep. if it's going to make you happier or if it's going to make you more fulfilled in your life, then why wouldn't you do it? And that seems to be such an important thing. Yeah, I think I think that's, uh, and you're both kind of basically saying the same thing there. It's If uh, an opportunity arises, just kind of think of like, what can you gain out of this? And then think, what can you lose out of it? And most of the times, the gain is going to always outweigh how much you can lose, or you're going to end up just back on where you were. Exactly. And, and if you lose, it's like, you know, it could be character building exactly. or you learn from it. And I like that. I like that you said that and in any situation, no, no matter how grueling it is or how painstaking it can be, you're always going to gain that, that character building out of it. Yeah. And that's huge. That's huge at the end of the day because that's something you're going to draw on for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you talked a little bit about reading. What do you have any personal development books that you read or what's your favorite book in general? Yeah, so I don't really read fiction. I'm not a huge reader, so pretty much any book I've ever bought or tried to read, it's nonfiction, usually trying to become better and improve on. There's a book I read in third year of my undergrad called 92 Ways to Talk to Anyone. I don't even remember the author. I can't find it. I've been trying to find (laughs) it online. Uh, I read that twice, and I think that that made a huge difference for me with everything I've done. Uh, with Amsu, with working in restaurants. Nice. It's just simple things um, that anyone can apply. Um, and then right now I'm reading Principles by Ray Dalio, which is a big book, and I'm about a third of the way through, and sometimes I'm a little tired after work and don't want to crack it open, but that guy is obviously a, a brilliant investor, started his own hedge fund. I don't know if you guys have read much about him, but some people compare him to the Steve Jobs of an of an, uh, hedge fund investing. Wow. Cool. Um, yeah, and he's got a really cool story. He started his own company out of a bedroom or a, sorry, a two-bedroom apartment in New York uh, in 1975, and now it's the fifth biggest hedge fund company in uh, North America. So just kind of those, I like reading books about people who've actually accomplished things. They've gone out there and they have something you kind of pick up off on. Yeah. I think it's, sometimes you see in those books, 
I read a lot of personal development books, and it's sometimes you spot the the real people from the fake people within their writing styles because it's some people like to over emphatize or just like they wrote this book so it makes them successful. But you mm-hmm. I find you have to gravitate towards the people that have done something first, and you can learn so much more about the mm-hmm. stories and and the people that are authentic and genuine and even talk about their failures because I find mm-hmm. so often. I have an issue with Tony Robbins where it just seems Hold again up, this you is, brought him up. Yeah, but that it's a little bit culty and it's also just where's any sort of negative thing that you've been through? Like I don't even get yeah. some of the figures that become famous because it's What do you mean by culty about them? Well, there's something often um religious in terms of his writings and things too, but he also paints himself up as this larger than life figure. And just talks about himself in that light, which it's just it it I get that you have to build a persona, but then mm-hmm. there's also this like this I, I've called it a god complex before, and I've gotten in trouble just in terms of I used it against somebody who I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> but uh but no, there's I think people some people do get that god complex where they are more important than everybody else and everyone should gravitate towards them and what they're saying, and it's so there's that that power, that absolute power that they think they have and think that everyone should follow them and that they're this huge figure. And I don't know if I understand certain people, but I would say that he's one of those guys mm-hmm. that like I picked up the book, read three pages, I went, This is culty bullshit. And it threw it away. <laughs> yeah, I um, turned off his Netflix doco. And I mean for some people that motivates them and that's great. If that's if that's what you like, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I for sure. I didn't really connect with his Netflix documentary, I haven't read his book, but I mean, he. there is some stuff that he says that, I mean, anyone could learn from, but I personally didn't vibe with, with his doco. I mean, book might have been different. That's fair. Me. I guess yeah. that's the thing, though. You can synthesize, you can learn from anybody, but sometimes you do have to find the people that you gravitate yeah. towards. And whether sure. it's, I actually really enjoy a lot of history writing in terms of getting in the mindset of people that lived thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago and just mm-hmm. learning from their experiences because... Oftentimes, people think it's so foreign, the idea of ancient Roman times and being a gladiator. But then you go, well, it's not that much. I mean, there's the life or death consequences, but watching an MMA fight and seeing the spectacle around it and all eyes are glued on people who are fighting inside a ring. It's there are a lot of juxtapositions between that world and this. And there's a lot of influences and human experiences so wide. I mean, so many experiences are shared throughout time and you can mm-hmm. learn so much throughout whether it's people current people or historical people mm-hmm. too sure um yeah no, i kind of goes back into what we were talking to on in the car on the way here riley um and how i was saying that in order or part of being successful in life is being able to have your story and being able to tell it well and uh kind of relating that to tony robbins and i can't say that I agree or disagree. I haven't heard enough of his stuff or read enough of his stuff to know that he has the God complex, I, but I know what you're talking about. And I know, I definitely know people who have come from kind of something lesser into something greater and have gained that kind of God complex out of it. So I get what you're talking about there. And I think there's a, I think it's a fine line, honestly, because <clears throat> being able to tell your story well is kind of talking yourself up in some manner. However, you can do it to a point where you start to um, lose kind of the mindfulness and humility humility into yourself 
Yeah. And so it comes off as almost arrogant or egotistic in a way. Uh, I'm not saying that's true at all for Tony Robbins. I can't, again, I can't speak for that. Um, however, I, I have seen that side of people for sure before. And um, I, I think it is, it is a very fine line between the two. Uh, I, I think we've talked at length about cockiness and confidence, and <laughs> yeah. it goes along the same yeah. line. It's being confident in your abilities and, and the changes and the things that you're able to do and that you have accomplished. But then there's a humble side of confidence that says, well, I still am going to be kind to people and, and friendly towards people. And like, I'm no better than them because of what I have done. Yeah. And, and so it's not losing sight of that. And I think that that's maybe what I see in some of those figures is they lose sight of that. Oh, I'm just like everyone I meet. Yeah, but maybe they've been living that life of grandeur for so long that they've lost that. Like you said, they've lost sight of it. Right. And that happens to people too. It's, it's but even, I think, I don't know. I think even in my past, like I've, I think I've had moments where I've become egotistical as well. Maybe not like God complex. Um, but like where I've kind of thought of myself above others, and especially after I lost like 150 pounds and started going to clubs and whatever and, mm-hmm. and, and gaining that kind of social no- notability. Um, I just, there was definitely certain people that I thought I was above, and I'm, I definitely don't think that anymore, but I think there was a brief moment in my history where I kind of got to a point where it was like I came from nothing, went up to something, and kind of thought that I was better than everyone because of it, which is completely untrue. Yeah, but, I mean, the fact you're aware of that's obviously huge, and a lot of people that suffer maybe from that God complex you mentioned don't. I haven't caught myself doing that, just being a second year at law school instead of a first year. I thought that made me better. And then I kind of caught myself and I was like, no, like I was in the same spot. But I think it's natural. But if you can become aware of that and make sure you kind of make your adjustments, it's okay. Some some people also do it as a form to make up for something. Maybe they're self-conscious or self-defeating in some way. So that's how they make up for it as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not the fact that they actually think they're above everyone else. They just feel like they need to act like it. It just popped in my head that Kanye West came out with an album called Yeezus a couple of years ago. And you go, yeah, if we're looking for a poster child for somebody who has a God complex, that might be, yeah. that yeah. might be one of them. I haven't like, read quite, quite books, literally. <laughs> I don't know if Kanye has any books. No. You could re- you could read his lyrics. I don't know if you'd learn very much from it though. Maybe. I, I don't, so, if he wrote a book, I don't trust he'd write it himself. So. No, there's definitely some ghost writer. Writer. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then also coming back onto the, the, the people who jive with you, what you were saying there, um, we, you and I look up very much to Jordan Peterson. And if we think on that, like a lot of people don't jive with Jordan Peterson on, on that level. A lot of people. I don't know if you know who Jordan I, Peterson is. I know who he is. I haven't yeah. read any of his stuff. Um, I mean, being in the student politics I was for two years, I did hear a lot about of uh, not um, the other organizations not even letting him speak, mm-hmm. which yeah. I found contradictory. Um, it is a fine line, though, with certain people trying to, you know, they want free speech, but they don't want certain people to have it. Um, <laughs> that, that I didn't really understand. Um, and I disagreed with, with those, some of those organizations doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know much about his uh, philosophy, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's interesting this political line we're going through, <laughs> oh, yeah. and even legal system too. Uh, I did want to ask, sort of on the terms of of success, how you define success and how you'll know when you've gotten there. Yeah, and that's something I I try to think about. Uh, try to think about that often. I mean, 
in terms of being at law school, I find it can be a bit of a vacuum sometimes and everyone cares about who gets the best job and all this. And I mean, it's good to have ambitions to work at a place you really want to. Um, I've always really valued friendship with, uh, with people, with others. Um, I mean, I've always been fortunate to get along with my family really well. So I do value those two things. And I think having a career that challenges you is important. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to get paid the most for it. Um, I've met a lot of people who, who aren't lawyers after three years of, of graduating. And that's actually quite common. I think wow. it's like 50% uh, wow. five years after law don't practice. Um, so, I mean, that's something uh, that just because you can make a lot of money being a lawyer, I wouldn't think someone who's miserable is successful if they do that. Um, so I think, yeah, finding something you really enjoy to keep you occupied and then being able to spend time with people you love, that's what I think is successful. Probably sounds pretty cliche, but um, I mean. It's cliche for a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to do something every day that I hate, so. Yeah, that's good to be heading towards something that you're passionate about. What would you say that that attributes to those 50% not being in law after after school? Yeah, so I mean, this will be sort of speculating, but a lot of it has to do with, uh, right, in the last 10 years, the job market. Um, I'm the co-chair of the Professional Development Committee, which basically means I get to help my colleagues try and uh, find articling positions. Uh, right now, I'd say about 50 out of 100 people in my class have an articling job when they graduate next year. So it's like half the class doesn't right now. And that's a tough spot to be in because, I mean, not everyone will get one. That's just how it is. So that already cuts some people off right there. Um, and then other people, they go into law and they hate it. So they transition out. And then others, they, uh, they'll move in house or they'll move into a different industry just because they have a good opportunity. Um, so, I mean, you'd have to ask the lawyers that are still practicing why a lot of their friends and colleagues aren't still practicing. But uh, just the lawyer I work for, like seeing him, you, you have to love it to keep doing it. And I think that's probably the same with any career. If you yeah. do not really enjoy the work because it's mm -hmm. not easy, it's not always that rewarding. And uh, you, sometimes you're representing people that you don't necessarily align your values with. So I think it can be quite stressful. What, so do, you, uh, what do you love the most about it? So right now I'm doing a lot of litigation work and what that entails is essentially people just suing each other, whether it's businesses or individuals. So you like suing people? I'm not, <laughs> I, I've never sued anyone personally. Um, no, the, the thing I really like about that is that literally every file that hits my desk is something new. It's, I've never seen these set of facts. I've never heard these people's stories. So as you kind of dive into it more and more, you get a bit more emotionally invested and get more interested and then... Um, I, as I said, I like representing others. I like being able to speak for them and act for them. So with their really unique files that I get, it's just fun to kind of put a face to it and then go out there and do your best for them. There's a bit of a competitive edge to it. Um, I never played high-level sports, but I always mm -hmm. grew up playing sports and wanting you know, to win the competitions I was in. So there's an element of that. Uh, but more so, it's just I find it fascinating, just some of the files and positions people find themselves in. It's, it's quite unique. <laughs> yeah. Do you have so, any good examples of that? Uh, probably none that I could share wow. without breaking the <laughs> It's privilege. worth a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yet. But uh, it's interesting. I've never thought of being a lawyer as intellectual jousting before, but for some reason yeah. that term came up in, in my head. <laughs> intellectual jousting. <Yeah. laughs> but no, it's, it must be interesting. Do you do, you do a lot of in class, uh, like like 
fake trials or whatever, but like against your classmates? Do you have to do mm -hmm. research in terms of that? Yeah, so there's a few things. Uh, in first year, you do, we did a charter challenge. So you go to the courthouse, it's you and a partner against two other people, and you give your submissions, and it's pretty relaxed. And then it's a practicing lawyer that's your judge. They give you feedback. Uh, I heard some were pretty hard on their uh, students. Ours was <laughs> a very lovely woman who's a partner <laughs> at a firm here in Winnipeg, so that was nice. Uh, and then in second year, you take negotiations, a lot of in-class uh, exercises. Really enjoyed that, and that's what a lot of certain types of law are about, negotiating with the other lawyers, not necessarily you know, being in court all the time. So yeah. that was really great. Uh, and then I actually had an experience this past year. I did a hockey arbitration simulation mm -hmm. out in Toronto in November, uh, so that was against other law schools around the country. So that would be similar to what Jacob Chuba just went through. We either acted for the player or the team for three different players, and it varied. And that was uh, basically mock arbitration with NHL agents as our judges. So that was a really cool opportunity, too. That was only open to law students. Yeah. So we, uh, we had Galchenyuk, Michael Ferland, and Calvin DeHaan as the players we had to argue. And then P.K. Subban's agent. Rand Simon was one of our judges, which was super cool. Nice. Gave a lot of good feedback. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm hoping to do that again this year. I got to try on again. So, <laughs> yeah. That was really fun. Until you look forward to it. Oh, it was the best thing I did in law school. And it wasn't for credit. So, I mean, it was still worth it, though. That's awesome. super interesting. You know, I, I don't hear it from, um, I guess I don't know that many lawyers, but I don't hear it from too many that, that they enjoy what they do. Um, so, I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, I right. mean, I'm technically not a lawyer yet. I got well, one more year. You will be. But I, I will be. Let's be realistic here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I am very fortunate. I am working for a, for a senior litigator who is really well-respected and gets a lot of great work. Um, so maybe when I'm articling, I won't get necessarily the most <laughs> interesting files to start. Um, but so far, I mean, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure going to law school whether I'd like it or not. It's pretty hard to know that. You kind of have to just be confident in yourself and that you can, you know, find something that you really like. For sure. And the litigation stuff so far I've found very fascinating. So I'm very happy and relieved about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's the the depiction of lawyers as sometimes being kind of snaky and in it for the money. And mm -hmm. then there was there's I would say the suits depiction, which is a glorification of the job. So mm -hmm. <laughs> whereabouts is it in terms of, of both of those views? Yeah. So speaking at least from working at for a sole practitioner, I mean my lawyer is fortunate that he has a great practice and can pick his clients, you know, kind of who he wants to represent. And most of them are very, very nice, uh, very nice folks. They're not huge corporations, anything like that. I have a friend on, in Toronto that said, you know, if you're working at a big firm and you want to defend the greater good and not make the rich richer, then don't come work in Toronto. So I know from the Toronto perspective, yeah, I mean, you're probably going to be Working for people you don't necessarily always agree with. Um, I mean, even in Winnipeg, you're gonna, you're probably gonna get clients that either they don't have a great case or you don't necessarily agree with their position. It's but gonna happen, right? Yeah, but right. that's, I mean, that's part of anyone's job, right? Sure. If they hire you and there's nothing, you know, immoral about it, then sometimes you just gotta take that position. And I actually learn more from the files that I have where I actually think we have a weaker argument because you really gotta hustle and figure something out, or you have to start negotiating and. Uh, do a good job in that way. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know if all, I wouldn't say all lawyers are snakes, but <laughs> I mean, they're hired to do a job and they will do the best they can. I mean, you, you're working for money at the end of the day too. I mean, yeah. that's like any job. I just think people 
I think it's because you're representing another person is where yeah. people think it, it comes in as snaky, right? Yeah. So, and I took a great course this year. It was called Access to Justice. Um, and a huge issue in Canada and really most of the world is, I mean, the layperson can't really afford a lawyer. Like they can't afford a litigator to spend 20 to 30 grand to, to win a case that they actually have a good argument in. It's just not possible. So, I mean, lawyers get a bad reputation and sometimes deserve, sometimes not that you know, you're hiring someone to do something for you and it's probably in, you know, one of the worst times of your life that you're dealing with this and then you get stuck with, you know, a pretty sizable bill. So, yeah. I mean, you, you do need that legal representation. It's not affordable, um, but at the end of the day, lawyers also do, you know, they work hard, they put the hours in, so they expect it to be compensated. Um, so it is a tough position and the, it's only getting worse. Like, it's not getting cheaper to hire a lawyer. The courts are super clogged up so i mean yeah. it's uh it's not really a fun event for anyone i mean that's what a lot of uh, lawyers enjoy corporate work because you're working with bigger corporations it's usually you know something that's exciting for their company uh they're you know doing big mergers and that can be a bit more rewarding and a less you know a less negative experience mm -hmm. um, but for the lay person yeah i mean they're usually paying a lawyer because they're in a bad position and uh, it's just going to be a, a bad experience how do you keep a grasp on ethics and morality of yourself and then also trying to represent in, in cases? Like, mm -hmm. do you find that that's, that mentality, do you have to almost separate yourself from a case, almost like a doctor would have to separate themselves from a patient? Or how do you still have your own views and then represent the case? Yes. I guess I mean, you, <laughs> I'm, st I mean, I'm yeah. still, I am working on quite a few different files. The lawyer I actually work for, he defends a lot of the lawyers that get in trouble with the law society. So I've got to see some of those files. Um, and I mean, it's just at the end of the day, you just don't do something that's clearly unethical or immoral. You don't steal people's money. Mm -hmm. um, you don't lie. You don't tell them you've <laughs> done something when you haven't. It's pretty basic stuff. But where the issue comes in is that you're under a tremendous amount of pressure. And that's that's where mistakes can be made. Um, so I'm actually taking, it's called uh, LPPR in my last year, Legal Profession and uh, Responsibility, something like that. So I'm going to be learning all about this uh, nice. next year. But I mean, just working for the lawyer I do, he basically just says, don't touch people's money and don't lie and you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if something, was, if something comes up halfway through, sometimes you have to disclose it to the court or the other side. Always just try to stay above board and don't put yourself in jeopardy for a client. Honestly, it, it kind of sounds like the same morals that almost anybody would follow, <laughs> any sure. sane person yeah. would follow. Absolutely. I guess maybe with the stipulation that you have to deal with the more technical side of it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're, it is a competitive uh, field in the sense that, you know, usually it's adversarial. So you don't want to lose. So then some people are under pressure to lie and say they did something they didn't or you know, they say they have X amount of money for something and they don't. And that's where they start kind of digging the hole deeper and deeper. It's kind of like you're allowed yeah. to make mistakes, but that's where people get in trouble is when they keep kind of digging. Well, that's what they, what do they say? One lie leads to another, right? Yeah. So. No one has a good enough memory to, to be a perfect liar. It's true. Know? That was so. one of my favorite classes actually in school was an ethics and sports class. And I actually found that I was in class with a lot of kinesiology and AT students, and I was the one rec management and community development student. So it was almost nice to share the the things that I had been taught. And actually, the class I was taking was at the U of W. So it was with completely different mm. students that I'd never met before, a prof that I'd never met before. 
but it was it was interesting to have these philosophical intellectual debates with people on and it was in terms of sport and i mean you have things like performance enhancing drugs or you have um i mean now gender in sport and all sorts mm-hmm. of different things that that maybe only in the past 40 years or so or 30 40 years have become to the forefront but i always just find that it's i like I think it would be difficult to have that as part of your day-to-day life, but having those discussions mm-hmm. with people is actually one of the most rewarding things. And I think actually led to this a little bit too, is just having meaningful conversations and just being able to share your perspective on mm-hmm. whether it's sport, whether it's, you know, what's cheating. And then there's the lines, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, we talked about Castor Semenya. She was, uh, I, I guess she would be the... So she ran in the Olympics as a female, but testosterone mm-hmm. levels tested well, too high for her to be considered female, even though everything... And, and another weird example was in the 1989 or something, Pan Am Games, they actually, contestants had to walk naked in front of judges so that they could wow. be determined male or female. And so that seems very dehumanizing too. For sure, yeah. And, and obviously that wouldn't get by any ethics committee now. But it's it's so strange. These lines of just are blurred. Everything seems so so difficult to tread. It's like treading water. Like it just seems very difficult to stay on top of things and mm-hmm. what's politically cor- correct. Uh, you know what what can we say? Should I ask you your gender before we ever talk? Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of questions now that are coming to the forefront that we've never had to deal with True. before. And the world just seems seems more confusing, but I don't know if it is any more confusing than ever before. In terms of, it seems... It's, it's less in the shadows now. Everything's much more out there and forefront, especially when it comes to gender issues. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... People are more accepting than ever. So I think that as, as, a, as a positive note, I mean, yeah, it, everyone gets offended by everything, but at least everyone can be who they want to be now to, to an extent. I agree with that, but then there's also, I think we're a more confused society than ever before, and I do believe those go hand in hand. And I'm not saying that people lie about their sexuality or anything, but I do think that it is, I I think that we are confused more so because we're bombarded with images on, and and message boards, and social media, and pictures, and and now, now that all these things are coming forward, it's like, oh, I can be anything, and what am I? So everybody just likes to try on a bunch of different hats and see where they end up. I'm a cat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I'm an alien. So, like, what, you know, it, it seems like, what is the point of ridiculousness in the society that we've gotten into? And, and yet it's almost dangerous to call that out, too, to say that, Okay, this is bullshit, or this is you know because somebody might get offended by that, and it's it's this weird game but of ping pong. At, just... at the same time, like, why is it our um, issue to deal with if someone says they're a cat? As long as they're not pushing that agenda on you, it's not our problem, right? You can sure you're a cat, go be a cat. As long as it doesn't affect me in any negative way. Yeah, but I go, why do you have to be a cat? Can't you just be a human being? Can't we just talk like people? Can't we be reasonable? Can't, should, like, All kinds of people out there. We're born into this world as what we are. We're some kind of human being or people kind or whatever you want to call that now. But it's, oh. yeah, I, it's, it's a confused time. 
It is. And I mean, if you want to relate it back to the ethics debates or you have a lot of great human rights activists and they've gone a long way with a lot of things. So, I mean, there's always going to be things to fight for in that sense. Um, and I don't really always get all of it, but I mean, there's some great people out there making headway and making good social change. Um, and I'm not always, I, mean, I always don't know everything about it, but mm-hmm. it is good to see people out there making change, whether I agree with it or not. Yeah, agreed. Oh, yeah. I think that's maybe one of the best things that humankind has is the fact that we're able to, we're able to make change, but we're also able to just designate the things that are happening. Like we're able to be critical on our own society and that can create changes. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. one of the special things, at least about living in North America Mm -hmm. and, and living in a free country that, that we can, we have the ability to change our surrounding and our social, Mm -hmm. uh, our social construct, which man, there's not a lot of, people throughout history that have had that kind of power. If you had monarchies, you had, I mean, you had limited abilities, but, mm-hmm. but usually it was somebody's say over everything. And so I guess democracy is won out in that sense that we do have a say, even if it's, mm-hmm. it's limited, even if it is, you know, you don't necessarily agree with everything, whether it's an UMSU council or whether it's well, your apparently, government. Apparently or, we don't always have a say as we were talking about the Jordan Peterson thing and how he didn't have, yeah, and there was just one in particular campus that just would they just wouldn't let him speak. So well, I know U of T kind of pulled some strings yeah. against him too. So yeah, and so U of T was where he was a prof. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's they, super strange. They have a pretty radical um, political leaning. At least they did a few years ago to the left. So yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised they did that. That's kind of their mo with their protests, and that's how they get their message across. So yeah, yeah, I've never. It's it's interesting to see the extreme leftism that happens now because i never really growing up it was it you saw the depiction of people in the south in the u.s gun toting and you still saw a lot of racist acts or things coming out in the media and i mean a lot of that still happens but and now it seems the counterculture to that is like call them a racist and a fascist and a and a bigot and and let's tear them down too and it's become violent in certain circumstances, whether it's Jordan Peterson or I forget some of the other guys that have talked that they call it's all the alt-right gentlemen that go talk at different universities. I'm trying to think of the one in particular that uh, he talks about gender and he talks about uh, basically conservative viewpoints, but he talks at anything and at, at any campus and he's open to talking to anybody and has really good points. Mm-hmm. coming from his side but he's been met with violence and and protests and being kicked off campuses or not let let to speak in in auditoriums either so it's it's strange to just it's i understand why the two sides exist and it's really nice because they keep each other in balance we almost you need people that have conservative values because if you get too far one way then it just becomes super confused and if you get to conservative, then people don't have the ability to choose who they are and be open. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's this constant flux, and that's why you see governments are pretty much only in power for four or eight years, mm-hmm. and then it goes to the other side because it's okay. This didn't work out. Let's go back the other way. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting that more people don't understand that. I mean, life happens somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. and if you're open to that, it, like 
you just have to be open to hearing people's opinions. You don't necessarily have to agree with exactly. them, but be able to mm -hmm. have that conversation as long as it's intellectual and they're not, you, you can't enforce your thoughts on people. And that's why the picket lines and the signs and things don't really work that well in the end because it's, I mean, yes, if you have a strong enough cause and you rally enough people and you, you can make a change that way, mm -hmm. but signs are mostly just words. Like if you're telling me that I, I shouldn't be at pride because it's an abomination, it's like, okay, well, like why is your six-year-old kid holding the sign when they haven't formed this opinion themselves? And where are you getting this opinion from? And can we sit down and talk about this and why we're celebrating our sexuality? Like it's, it seems like there's a better way to do it than just throw it at people like like picket lines and say that you can't do this you can't speak here because like we said it's this is one of the successes of our society is having these types of conversations and in and even in terms of talking about ethics or morality it's some of the most rewarding conversations i've ever had it's it's a sticky issue because it's yes everyone should have free speech but even those people at the picket lines that's that is part of free speech too they're expressing their own opinions Sometimes in a way that becomes physical and maybe un, uh, immoral in a way. Um, but, like, yeah, someone holding up a picket sign, that's still expressing their opinion. If they say someone can't do something, that's still free speech, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, in a sense, it ties back to, yeah, it's a confusing time. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> free speech can lead to all sorts of uh, just kind of complications i guess in the system but as long as you you remember at the end of the day all it comes down to is someone else's opinion you don't have to agree or disagree you can disregard altogether too that is your choice at the end of the day you don't you have a choice yeah i don't know why i'm coming back to this but you were talking about being well we were talking about the god complex and i actually mm -hmm. think that i grew up being very naive and and that I, I wanted to be such a good person that I actually sacrificed myself in times where I wanted to speak more truthful, but I held my tongue shut, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like it's weird to want to be confident enough in your convictions to speak, but also being educated enough to feel that you should share your opinions too. So I guess it's, I mean, our system has structured itself this way for a reason, and the people that get the voices are often the people that care enough to want the voices. So get into politics or, or law or basically anything, right? Like mm -hmm. you're going to get into something that, that you're passionate about, or at least hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, but at least you have the ability to choose that in our society as well. Yeah. Because there's a lot of other times in history. I mean, you can say that there's certain um, class barriers or immigration barriers, but Again, it's, it's really tough to, how would we change this system to be more fair? And I think that Canada especially is one of the most fair countries in the world, whether you're an immigrant or somebody who was born here, like to get the opportunity to be able to do anything you want. Yeah. Whereas sometimes in the U.S. it's very hard to climb out of your current socioeconomic status. So this kind of reminds, is reminding me of something that's happening on the U of M campus right now. Um, and I guess it's more prevalent in the other um, bigger provinces like BC and uh, Ontario. And maybe you've heard somewhat about it. I can't remember the name of the group, 
But there's been stickers going around at the U of M campus about this group of that are saying that that Canada is basically made up of Europeans and these immigrants aren't welcome here. Yeah, I saw a message from the current UMSU president denouncing that. Um, and all I saw was just the sticker that they had a picture of. So, I mean, I don't think that's really uh, Canada's identity. I think we are like the cultural mosaic that people say. Um, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are immigrants who are incredible yeah, people same. and <laughs> contribute amazing things to this country. So, uh, I mean, I don't necessarily align with that that opinion. I don't think, I didn't even know that was an issue until <laughs> I, I saw that on the news yeah. uh, a week ago, maybe a week yeah. and a half ago. Yeah, I was and pretty I was surprised. Like, I've never encountered a student group like that during my time at the U of M. Because so. I know something like that, that's huge in the States, like that kind of issue, but here, not really, I didn't think. I but feel like that might be a symptom of who the president is down south. I it mean, could be, I, yeah. I never saw that in my time at the U of M. So, yeah, me yeah I was I surprised seen. to see that. Yeah, we're so... It's it's nice when you look around and you see how fortunate we are to have. I mean, I've had similar relationships in my life, whether it's actually at the U of M as well. One of my best friends I met in the U of M gym in the athlete zone, but trying to uh, to lift weights. And I think he was struggling with bench press. And then I went up and did really heavy deadlifts, something like 315 pounds or something. And he went, oh, my God, you're going to lift that? And struck up a conversation. I found out that he had moved from Nigeria in January. And and so in the midwinter, later on when we became closer friends, he's like, yeah, the very first thing I did was go buy a winter jacket. Yeah. I knew it would be cold, but not that cold. <laughs> oh, and uh, But yeah, so his name's Omasan. He doesn't live here anymore, but we still stay in contact. And he's like, you're the first friend that I made here. Like, And it was just... It's so cool that we have that ability to, like, I wouldn't have our country any other way because it leads to having, if you're open to it, you can have such amazing conversations, discussions. And I think it's what I value in the world, too, is the fact that you can learn from so many different cultures, people, their experiences, and you can take a part of that on for yourself. And that's what I talk about in Fiji is the cultural experience there, but but having friends that are diverse and, and mm-hmm. from different countries or maybe their parents, maybe their grandparents, like that's what our country is. And it's, yeah. it's such a cool, I mean, it's, it's a mosaic, but it's also just, it's, it's an awesome place to live at the end of the day. Yeah. 100%. I don't think just in terms of racism, I didn't know how to even pronounce the word racism, <laughs> nor did I know what it meant until probably grade eight. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that, but at the same time, I'm not because I have friends that are black. I have friends that are all kinds of different cultures. And it wasn't until high school that it really started hitting me that, like, oh, this is an issue with other people. Like, I grew up with these. These are my friends. Like, why would I alienate alienate them in any sense? So Mm -hmm. racism never really made sense to me growing up. And it wasn't until I started, like, talking about it uh, later on into high school and then when it or when people started calling each other names and stuff mm-hmm. and other people, and I'm like, oh, apparently this is an issue for some people. Yeah, you probably it, saw some of your friends getting treated quite poorly sure, at times. Yeah. And, 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 and it, it, it makes me depressed seeing mm-hmm. that. Like, I don't understand the reason behind that. Everyone, I've always been on the on terms of, like, everyone's a human being, so why not treat each other like human beings? To me, it's that simple. But mm-hmm. I guess to the rest of the world, it isn't. Yeah, and people, everyone has different upbringings, right? Like, I was fortunate enough, like you, to have friends from different cultures. And, uh, I mean, 
some people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, so they just don't have that worldview growing up. And they yeah. have to learn it or they maintain what they kind of kind of adopt when they were growing up. I would say that that's one of the things is exposure, whether it's sexuality, race, different gender, like all these issues stem from exposure to it. And once you start to meet people from different cultures, uh, from different sexual orientations, and you mm -hmm. actually, and, and if you befriend them and understand their struggles and, and how they view the world, then if you can, if you can just find that, 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 talking zone or that level zone where you understand that person mm -hmm. it then becomes it, it changes your perspective and you're able to understand it more and i think that yeah the more exposed you are and especially in a country like ours where you have every flag under the sun and so, you have every person under the sun that kind of begs the question and i'm going to kind of throw you under the bus here um <laughs> so with people with different gender identities does that mean that's due to exposure from them growing up? So is that due to upbringing? Because a lot of them would argue that they were born that way. So it's the nature versus nurture right. uh, conversation. And really, so what was the question? It was... So are, so say, let's take someone who's gay, for example. Are they gay because of their upbringing, upbringing or are they gay because they were born gay? I, again, it's it's there's no clear cut answer. There's obviously different influences because they've measured testosterone levels in the womb, which they know is an indicator of sometimes sexual preference. Um, so, and then there's there definitely are cultural influences. And in a more open culture, you're likely going to see more people who are out. And who knows? I mean, people have lied about being straight, and so you might have countercultures that happen as well. And so, I, I mean, my only thing is I would say be authentic and be yourself. And so if that is you, 100%, like, that's you. And it doesn't really matter if it's nature or nurture. But at the end of the day, be a good person. And, and also understand that it takes the world time to evolve, too. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the people around you, again, it's maybe they haven't been exposed to it. So everybody has to be patient. And, and we see the same thing with uh, women in the workplace and <clears throat> struggling for equal pay and all these things. It's, it's, it takes time and people mm -hmm. often don't want to realize that uh, that change takes time. And I think it's more rapid than ever before because you have access to information on the Internet. I mean, if you're in a small town, okay, this is kind of a funny story, but <laughs> we played football in a small town in Saskatchewan. I won't name the town. But we were in high school, and, and they, had, they stopped to take pictures with our black players because they didn't have any black person in town. And so it was a little bit off-putting, but at the same time, it wasn't, it wasn't mean-spirited. But it's, no. it's, it's strange that even 10 years ago that people just were that underexposed that they wanted a picture with somebody who was a different, different race than they were. So it's, I guess... I don't know what I'm going for here, but there's there's got to be some wisdom somewhere. But yeah. nature versus nurture, but be a good person and be accepting of others, but also realize that it takes time. That was the right answer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see how you would answer that, but I, I kind of agree with you. Or, well, I think, like, my personal opinion would be that uh, whoever you are, regardless of whatever orientation and what sense or wherever you come from and what culture... Um, who you are today is a result of both nature and nurture. Yeah. Say exactly that. Yeah.
So we like to talk about billboards. So if you were... Segway. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> and not the invention of the Segway. Do you remember those things? What? Why yeah. did they ever die out? I want one of those Maybe the because the so person... Get around. Yeah, they didn't blow up. It. it might be because the person who invented it drove off a cliff with one and died. Well, I, yeah. Think, I don't know if it was suicide or not. You th- <laughs> I mean, if I invented I'm guessing. the Segway. Um, <laughs> but no. Uh, well. Some of our representatives in when I don't know if they still do this went house to house. Some of them used segways actually. Oh, and they would let kids ride around on them. And I remember that. Well, I must have been yeah, I was still in elementary, probably grade seven or grade eight when one came to our house. That was interesting. Oh. I never rode it myself, but I thought it was super cool. I'm like, I'm gonna vote for that person when I grow up. <laughs> but go. then what are I mean, oh, what are hoverboards but segways just without handles? <laughs> Yeah, pretty and they much. Yeah. they got popular for a good couple months, and then oh, yeah. they fell off the. Well, oh, then you get the wheelies and the shoes. <laughs> yeah. So we also like to give people some kind of uh, inspiration. So if you had a billboard and you had to put something on it that would inspire somebody to make a positive change in their life, what would it say? That's a great question on the fly here. <laughs> um, I know I really liked how we were talking about just taking advantage of opportunities. So I mean, I'd say if you see a if you see a opportunity, don't mess it up. Go for it. Don't miss it. That's one of the things: being willing to take that first step or that yeah. jump into something new and or something yeah. rewarding, potentially rewarding or challenging. And it doesn't always have to be the right thing, too. No. Well, I think what Jay said earlier was bought on because even if you take that opportunity it doesn't work out that's okay you yeah. learn something you're probably no worse off than you were before i mean that's obviously very general say you take yeah. a different job or something and it changes your career sure that's a little different but we're talking about you know opportunities that you see that you can tell this is a good idea and maybe it's just your fear that's stopping you and even if you don't there was that saying that like if you always wait for when you're ready you're never going to do anything because you're never going to be fully ready sort of goes to more of that like if you see an opportunity don't worry if you don't think you're gonna succeed at it at first just go for it yeah well we were talking on the way here well and i've talked about it before but jen sincero's book you are a badass blah 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 blah. i forget the (laughs) title it's exactly the title too (laughs) how to stop doubting yourself and become a master of what something like that okay i'll keep going um (laughs) but no so she writes on one of her pages that it's put this book down and start something now and goes on to say it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything planned out, but just what do you want to do? Start that. And actually, so I I told the story to Jace, but for me, it ended up being a discussion group that I did monthly um, with other young professionals at a coffee shop and just talked about our experiences, um, both successes, failures, but, and things that, that, could help us potentially, whether it was talking about goal setting and planning and, and things too. And then from that, this podcast has developed too. So it's 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 cool that once you start off on a journey, sometimes you might have to take a couple turns. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you might have to say it's it's not the right thing and you do something completely different. Mm-hmm. So, so there's room for growth within things and there's room to even just change what you're doing altogether. But it is just taking that first step is really the most important thing that you can do. I agree with that. Ling, what you're saying is you have to keep that open mind and that flexibility is important too because you don't know where you're going. So again, it's almost like taking more opportunities along the way. You went from a small discussion group to a podcast, so who knows what's next for you? 
television show. Yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> well, Netflix documentary. Yeah. Again, those are the things. It's fun to to think of what can evolve in life, but it's also being realistic. Of I, I had a great conversation. It was actually last week talking with the other Spartans, and we we came up with life philosophy talking about our race. We did a. Uh, it was in Kimberley, BC, and it was a mountain race. So there's obstacles, but. The biggest obstacle was literally hiking up and sprinting down this mountainside. Mm-hmm. And but we talked about the the hill climbs and just getting up the mountain was one of the hardest parts. But they said it was if you look too far in the distance, if you're looking at the top of the mountain, yeah. things become super discouraging because you go, God, that's far ahead. Or you could see the top of that ridge. And then you know when you get to the top of that ridge, there's just a next ridge to get to. Mm-hmm. And then if you spend too much time looking back and enjoying the views or remembering where you were or whatever it was, you you stop moving and you spend too much time in the past. And and then it's, what's the best thing to do? Probably focus on the next three to six feet in front of your face and keep trudging along. Know that you're going to get there eventually. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's great to have all these long-term visions and goals. And mm-hmm. yes, I've become a goal setter in life. And think that that's important to at least have some kind of structure to what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But then it is, most of the work is really just the six feet in front of you, keep moving, keep trudging, and just do the things. And mm-hmm. And so eventually you'll wake up and you're there and then... You get to run back down again and do it all over. So <laughs> oh, it's cool. well, I mean, yeah, and that's a good way to put it. It's sort of just focusing on the things you can control in the moment, right? Yeah. And like some people do it formally by setting on goals every day. Some just know what they need to do and get get working, right? But I think that's a good way to put it in terms of just focusing on what you can do now. Those six feet. Yeah. I had a question that I wanted to ask you at the beginning of the podcast mm-hmm. and it kind of just came back to me. <laughs> sure. This is how our I don't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I get these ideas as you're talking, and I'm like, oh, I got to ask this, this, and then we yeah. change to a different topic, and, and I'm just lost, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about what you wanted to be when you wanted when you were growing up, because I mm-hmm. I don't think you wanted to be a lawyer. I could be wrong, but I I don't think too many kids want to be lawyers when they're growing when they're growing up. I don't I don't think they think that's glamorous. You hear a lot of goalies yeah. or hockey players, <laughs> football players, like yeah. usually sports related, right? I know it was for me anyways. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, when I was, yeah, probably in mid school, I probably thought I, playing in the NHL would be super cool. Um, I think I realized by nine that I wouldn't be making the <laughs> that's NHL. That's pretty early. Good for you. Well, it's because I played with a guy who did make the NHL <laughs> when I was nine, and I was like, I'm not even on the same stratosphere as <laughs> this guy. Um but yeah, I don't know. I I think law, the first time I ever actually considered it was probably grade 11 or 12. Um, yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Maybe yeah. I probably wanted to be a hockey player for a while. And then maybe like a sports agent. So it was a common one that I probably thought I'd like to do. But pretty uh, pretty tough to get into that business nowadays, sure. especially if you're going to stay in Winnipeg to do your schooling. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I haven't had to answer that in a long time. <laughs> it's like even uh, knowing that you wanted to be going to law in grade 11 and 12, I find that's pretty early too. I, a yeah. lot of people at that age still don't know exactly what they want to do. Yeah, it was, it was and it's interesting because when you go to law school, everyone asks you, do you have family who are lawyers? And um, I'd say like maybe 20% of people have like at least a relative that that's a lawyer. Uh, I mean, that's a pure guess. I didn't. Um, I just thought it was something that I may be able to 
be good at with uh, sort of my skill set of being able to talk to people, not necessarily always cut the best grades, but knew I would be capable of at least getting it done. So, yeah, I don't know. It's always been glamorized. At least when I was in grade 11 and grade 12, I thought it might be something a lot different than what I now know it actually is. But I think it might work out all right. But I guess time will tell. We'll see if that's going to work <laughs> out. Sure. Yeah. Character building, if nothing else, right? Honestly. Yeah, it's been a great experience so far. It hasn't always been go. easy, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. So awesome. it seems that family and having a strong foundation is really important to you. How have mm-hmm. they helped you build to who you are today? So both my parents, they, uh, they sent myself and uh, my three siblings through private school from K to 12. Um, I mean, we definitely, we took on bursaries in high school and that stuff. So I, they put a lot of sacrifice into their own life uh, doing that. I mean, that's like, could have bought another house or two with the amount of money they spent on us. And I mean, we're, we're definitely middle class, but like that was my mom and dad worked their, their butts off for us. So, I mean, the least I could do was try to go out there and make, make something of myself or at least do something I really am going to enjoy. Um, so just seeing my mom and dad were big inspirations for me. Um, and then in terms of my siblings, like I have an older sister and a twin sister, both Asper grads. So, I mean, they nice. were always a positive influence on me. They always did really well in school. A lot better than I did. Um, and so then you're I, the youngest then? No, and then I got a brother who's six years younger. Ah. So Oh, wow. Yeah, That's quite the gap. Yeah, he was our special gift, my mom says. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I've always kind of wanted to be a decent role model for him too. So it kind of all ties in. I've been kind of inspired by my, uh, my parents, my sisters, and I kind of, I wouldn't say we competed, but we were always kind of in it together. And then my little brother, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm a decent role model for him and kind of give him guidance by example. Awesome. I like to hear. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's always great to have that support and that just stable base. I think that you need that to be successful in a lot of ways. And it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that it's hard to realize that not everybody has that from time mm-hmm. to time, too. And a lot of people struggle with, I mean, sometimes it's food on the table. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's hard to it's hard to fathom that, especially coming from a life where, I mean, I'd say similar where it's, I mean... I had supportive parents. We had food in the fridge and things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's um, yeah, being exposed to that and just seeing a different world and, and having certain conversations that I have recently, it's really led me to to rethink and even appreciate my own life more and, and try and think of, like, what are ways to give back and help people and, and how can we make a positive difference in this world? And I know that this is what this podcast is all about, but it's, it's always coming up with these new ideas and things and just, and I don't know, just being cognizant of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I never went to private school and I almost think it was a good thing for me too because I don't know if the option was necessarily there. I didn't have the best grades, but mm-hmm. um, maybe it could have happened. But I also did enjoy my high school experience because I was in a public school and got to see how other people lived and just... My school was a little bit split in between, I would say, middle class, but then lower class, I mean, mm-hmm. low-income families. And so I got the exposure to how different worlds lived and saw mm-hmm. half the school go up for cigarettes at lunchtime, even though they're in high school. So mm-hmm. I think that that opened up my eyes to a whole different world. And I just think that, it, I wonder if you saw that as much going to a private school or if you felt that. Like, have you had that kind of exposure to that or understand that life 
at all? Yeah. So, I mean, predominantly most of my friends are, were, you know, around middle class or upper. Um, and we were all, I've had my friend group since I was five years old, essentially. So I've been very fortunate uh, to have such a tight group of friends. And we, we saw early on how supportive all our families were. That's kind of how I was so aware of it from early on. Um, and then in terms of uh, just kind of seeing the other side sometimes, um, I have done some volunteer work through St. Paul's. They make you do, um, they make you do, it's called uh, Christian service. Basically go out and uh, volunteer. I think it's 20 hours in grade 11 and 30 hours in grade 12. Um, so I did some of that with Special Olympics and I also worked at a food bank during that stuff. So that's good exposure when I was a bit younger. Um, and then I did do some uh, youth mentor volunteering in my arts undergrad. I worked at Gordon or volunteered at Gordon Bell High School. So it was really good to get that experience helping other people from different backgrounds than myself. Uh, I worked uh, at Turtle Island just over near Higgins in Maine here. Okay. Yeah. So I did a drop in center there with the city with also low income housing. Hmm. Really cool experience. And yeah, I know. So that ex- like those sort of experiences really opened my eyes and also reinforced just how fortunate I am. Um, I was happy that I was able to be there and uh, try to provide them some of my perspective too and just be supportive of everything they wanted to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's if you don't realize how lucky you are after you know having some of those experiences, then you're just not aware of your situations. So. Because that's maybe one of the dangers I see, and even some people that I've seen go through private schools, that there is sometimes that sense of entitlement that comes along with that. So I think it mm-hmm. is... That's great that you seem to have had tons of experiences of just exposure to people and helping people and just having that drive to make a difference in the community. Um, I just wonder your perspective on that and if you you ever saw that happening around you. In terms of? In terms of oh, that entitlement. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's, it's going to happen anywhere. Um, as I said, our friend group, even some of the more upper class ones, I'd say we kept ourselves pretty grounded. Uh, we did realize pretty early on how lucky how lucky we were, um, but I mean, my year at St. Paul's, I felt like we were all pretty, I don't know, pretty reasonable people. No one was too uh, too out there, but there are some. I mean, there are. You're gonna find that pretty much anywhere. We have the same thing in law school. We have a lot of people who come from very tough backgrounds. Um, they're on bursaries and they're amazing people. And then you have the people who have never worked and they're having their law school paid for and. I mean, still nice, but they just have different perspectives and different understandings of maybe kind of how they got there. So, it and that's fine. I mean, I've I was lucky. I got to kind of realize uh, how lucky I was. And I mean, there's entitlement pretty much anywhere I've ever been. But uh, it's the people who have it overcome some hardship that usually are a bit uh, usually people I kind of uh, vibe with a bit better, anyways. So, I think sure. it's easier to yeah. have a real conversation or connection with people who have been through at least some kind of hardship in their life. Mm-hmm. I, and it's funny to see, I don't know why I'm thinking of Justin Bieber right now, but you remember when he used to sing songs and it was like, baby, baby. It was like, well, you haven't really ever had a relationship. Why are you singing about relationships? And now it's actually, you've seen him struggle with relationships and even seems like drug use and some other things yes. too. I know that that's been in the news, but it's like now you actually believe his songs a little bit more and they seem to speak to you if you've been in a relationship. So it's funny that, yeah, it's, it's just that realistic. But one of the things that came up when you were talking is, is I have a philosophy on people and it's just the fact that good people are good people. And it's the same thing that, I mean, you surround yourself with like-minded people, at least hopefully. Sometimes it's harder to do that too. I mean, I've been in situations in my own life where I've had to cut off from friend groups because 
we're evolving in different ways and we value different things. So that's, mm-hmm. that can be a difficult thing in, in itself because sometimes you don't get to choose your surroundings. You have to be the one that's willing to go outside of that, put yourself again out of your comfort zone to find maybe other friends that gravitate towards you too. And actually, funny enough, a lot of the people that you went to school with, I ended up gravitating towards and becoming friends with them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that that's a mentality thing. It's It's like... It's that good people are good people, and if you want to make mm-hmm. that those differences in the world, if you want to help people, mm-hmm. you're probably my kind of person. So yeah, and yeah, that, that's something I got exposed to a lot at Umsu too. I got to meet a ton of people from different backgrounds because you know I was in that role. So I met a lot of uh, international students, met a lot of agriculture students who live in rural Manitoba, uh, met a ton of diverse people, and it it becomes pretty apparent quickly kind of who you can see as a good person and who you want to spend time with and who you're going to support their kind of their ideas and causes for. And just going back to what you said about surrounding yourself, forget who said it, but uh, they said you're basically the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that's something that I've believed for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I know when I'm hanging out with my one friend uh, who just finished medical school, he's an avid, um, avid into fitness. So I know when I'm spending more time with him, I'm getting in better shape. You know, I'm taking care of myself a bit more. Sometimes hang out with people like to go out a lot more. So sometimes I'm spending a bit more money <laughs> and having a bit too much fun. And and it just balances out to that yeah. five people. When I you find. brought that up, we brought, I brought that up a few podcasts, a few episodes ago. Um, I'm trying, I, I want to remember who said it. I heard it on Tim Ferriss's podcast, but he was referring to someone mm-hmm. else. Um, but yeah, it's the, the five people you're closest to. That, so choose them wisely. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It's the saying. I agree with it. I believe it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that speaks. They are the five parts of your personality, essentially, if you put them together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, your habits are just going to naturally change. Whether, I mean, you could be maybe the leader that changes their habits a bit, but I find just my personality, I pretty much go with the flow a lot of the time. So I spend time with definitely kind of affects kind of whether I'm working towards my goal or their goals. When people talk about karma and be like, oh, you're going to get what you're coming to, what's coming to you, I, I always don't. I don't think of it as karma. Or I don't like to think of it as karma. I just think of it as like, well, you're just surrounding and attracting and magnetizing the people who are like-minded to you. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing something that's immoral all the time, you're going to attract those kinds of people towards you. So yeah, that karma karma is going to kick you in the butt. Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's the same way that you put energy out into the world and you can't expect it to come back, but you, you hope that you make those, I mean if you're putting positive energy out into the world and you're trying to do good things, then hopefully that energy manifests around you and it brings people up. So it's, yeah. it's definitely along those lines. Uh, I did want to ask, so what's next for Christian Pierce? What's next for me? Um, last year of law school, we'll finish that off. I'm going to try and travel to, to Europe all of May. Nice. And then I think it's around June 11th, I'll be... Be starting my articling at Thompson Dorf and Sweatman, and uh, I mean, from there we'll see. Hopefully, I'll be there for a long time and becoming a half decent lawyer. Nice. Where exactly yeah. are you going in Europe? Uh, I'm just trying to figure that out now. I've never been, so I was maybe going to do a sort of uh, what was my route again? It was going to be <laughs> uh, London to Belgium to Netherlands to Prague, Budapest, Vienna to Paris. 
Wow. Something like that. We'll see. <laughs> see how it all works okay. out. But yeah, got to draw yeah. a couple lines. And, I mean, and once that's... I think once I start my career, I won't get a, another five weeks off in a row for maybe ever. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Yeah, I think so. I'm you gonna... might as well enjoy it while you can. Yeah, pretty yeah. much have to. So well, I know we appreciate you taking uh, the time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. That was Especially good. on a work day. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. They don't work you too hard in summer. It'll be next year and I'll be <laughs> I'll still be working at this time. So no, no, I appreciate it, guys. That was uh that was very enjoyable and and yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, it's no, been thank a pleasure. you for coming on. It was I, it was so chance meeting running into you in the building and just talking to you downstairs, but I was like, I knew I wanted to have you on and just have this conversation for at least a, a while and just know what you were up to. And I knew that you'd had cool experiences both with Thumsu and then now in law school so mm -hmm. and just being a very charismatic and positive person i thought it would be a great interview and a great time just to chat and catch up and and learn a little bit more about your story so thank you for joining us yeah thanks guys um before we do go is there anything would you like to plug yourself at all or plug anything like in terms of social media I know you're in a line of business where maybe that's not always <laughs> well, the best idea. Well, it's kind of it's funny. I worked hard to build up my uh, social media during my Umsu days, and then now I, I still use it, but yeah. I don't really actively go for it. So, uh, no, nothing I can really think of. So Fair enough. When you Appreciate become it. a lawyer, then yeah, yeah. then we'll then <laughs> they'll can have me back okay. on. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Look up Christian Pierce, and it'll represent you, and you know. Be, try not to overcharge you. Try not to overcharge. He's a responsible, kind person. Um, but yes, we're be the change as always. My favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Our email is b dot the dot change dot yps at gmail dot com. I love throwing in the dots. I don't know why. And uh, take care, people. Yeah. Also, just before we do go, um, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. I know we have quite a few listeners on YouTube. Just hit that subscribe button if you like the show, and uh, that way you'll get notified of the next one as well. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Take care. Bye.